the work of Christmas begins. It's been an exciting month or so, even these last few days, as the Christ child has arrived. Now, Advent, in the season of Advent that we celebrate and that we walk through, is, is that time in which we walk and prepare and anticipate the birth of Christ. And over these last weeks, we have been careful to quiet our hearts and our minds, to listen, to listen to the Spirit of God. And we've heard the Spirit speak, speak words of light into our darkness. We've heard the Spirit of God tell us and prophesy that the Prince of Peace would come into this place where wars and conflicts and tensions thrive. We've heard the Spirit of God whisper into our ears that we can find joy. And that joy can come even in the midst of our own sadness, our own trials and tribulations, that that something can be birthed and something can be present from within us that's placed there by God that allows us to rejoice at all times. We've talked about the gift of hope. We've heard the Spirit of God whisper again into our ears and into our lives as we wait for the birth of this Christ child, that in this child, in this babe, that we too can find hope. That amongst the illnesses, the, the deaths of this life. That we can grieve, yes, but that we can grieve differently. We can grieve with a hope because we know that there's something beyond. We know that there's something past the illnesses and the deaths of life. And we can begin to experience that hope even now. And on Christmas Eve, as we gathered in this place, we listened as the Spirit of God, as we peeked into the manger, and as we saw this newborn babe, we heard His words of love being spoken into this world and into our lives. And on Christmas morning, we we celebrated the birth of this child, and we began to understand, and we began to, to move past the waiting and the expectation to the realization that Christ is born. And as Sammy just sung for us, that now the waiting, the anticipation in some sense is finished. And now we can begin. Now we can experience the reality and the work and the mission and the purpose of this Savior in our world. But what does that look like? What does that look like for us as a people? It's the Sunday after Christmas. We'll, we're preparing for a wonderful celebration next Sunday. The, the, the Christmas decorations will come down here at church. They'll come down at your home, I suspect. The lights, the trees. 
But, but what is it that we're to expect? What is it that, that we're to do now that Christmas is over? Surely Christmas is more than putting things back into a box until next year. Surely we can find something else to do. Surely we can do more than just take some gifts back and exchange them or go shopping because really the best deals are after Christmas, right? Surely there's more that we can do than this. For you see, the Savior is born. Mary and Joseph's lives have been changed. The world has been changed. Our lives, because of the birth of this child, have been and are being changed. You see, the world will never, ever be the same after Christmas. The prophecies and the promises and possibilities of salvation and of life eternal and of life abundance are coming true. Light and peace and joy and hope and love are here among us now. And it's simply up to us to begin to live out those gifts that God has given us as they're experienced in new and deeper ways. So on these days, as after Christmas, as we begin the work of Christmas, as we've gathered this morning, simply let there be praise. Let there be praise of God. Doesn't that seem like the natural and right thing for us to do as God's people on the Sunday after the birth of our Savior, after a season of Advent, is simply to come to this place and rejoice and give thanks and praise God for who He is and for what He's done. So here's my question for us, and I'm, I want to ask you just to talk to your neighbor, talk to the neighbor behind you, in front of you, next to you. What are you praising God for today? What, what, what is going on in your life that you're rejoicing about? What are you praising God for? Take just a few seconds. Talk to your neighbor for a second. What are you praising God for today? Very good. Again, isn't it great to hear God's people rejoicing with each other, giving testimony of what God is doing in your life? Now, as we praise God, there's probably a couple of ways that 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 takes shape. First of all, a lot of our praise is focused on what God has done. And, And we would call that type of praise thanksgiving. We thank God for those people in our lives that have blessed us as we shared earlier in worship. We thank God for the birth of His Son. We thank God for His provision, for His healing. We thank God for our relationships that we share. There's so much that we thank God for and we offer that thanksgiving as a praise. But there's another aspect of praise that we want to be aware of too. And it's that aspect of praise that, that rejoices and acknowledges who God is. And so we, we praise God because He's Creator. 
Well, we certainly praise God for what He's made. We're thankful for what He has made. But we want to go deeper than just thanksgiving for specific things to the nature of His character and of His person and of His being. So while we thank God for the beauty of the snow as Creator that fell yesterday, isn't snow wonderful when it doesn't mess up the roads? <laughs> how, how beautiful is that? Even this morning, wow, we got to go to church and snow was everywhere and we didn't have to slide into the parking lot. It's wonderful. But the reason we praise God for the snow and thanking for the snow is because He is a Creator God. And He is a Creator God of great beauty. And so we thank God for the beauty of the snow because He is beauty. And so we praise Him for both of those aspects of His nature and His activity. And that's why, as we've already read, as Jennifer's already read this morning, why I've been drawn to Psalm 96 for us to share this morning. If you have your Bible, if you want to take one in the pew, take, take your, your Scriptures, turn to Psalm 96. And that's where we're going to be all morning. And you can follow along. Now it's interesting that this is a psalm that, that we see a lot that's shared as a psalm of David in 1 Chronicles 16, verses 8-36. through 36. If you'll read through that passage, this is the passage of David as bringing the, the, the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem to put it in the tent. And this is the, the prayed, the worship expression, the thanksgiving that David offers uh, to the Lord as that Ark of the Covenant is coming back into, into Jerusalem. And this then is, uh, is a part of that, that praise and that celebration. And as we look at this, these 13 verses... It's interesting, it's almost as if it's a psalm of two psalms. Maybe a, a psalm of two stanzas would be better said. Verses 1 through 6 are a psalm of worship and praise for God, for the salvation of the nations. Verses 7 through 13 are a psalm, or the second stanza, are a psalm of worship and praise for God's justice and His righteousness. So as we, as we look at this psalm here over these next minutes, we need to keep those two dynamics in mind. First of all, the psalmist is inviting us to praise God because He is the God of salvation. And He's not just the God of salvation to the Jewish people. He's the God of salvation to all the peoples of the world. And then second, as we, in that second stanza, as we praise God... We're not praising Him for His salvation. On the other hand, we're praising Him for His justice and His judgment and that He is coming to make things right. So we hold these two parts of this psalm in our hands as one psalm. But as we read through this entire psalm again and again, we discover and we understand that the message of Psalm 96 is simply this. Worship the Lord. Praise God. Verses 1 through 2. Sing to the Lord a new song. Isn't that what Christmas is about? Isn't that the struggle that we would have? Is Oh, it's, it's Christmas again. We're going to light the candles again at church. We've got to go buy Christmas gifts again. It's, it's not anything new. Wow. 
I hope that's not what Christmas is to you. I hope that Christmas and that Advent and that Christmas morning every year is something new and fresh. And that's what the psalmist is inviting us to do. Sing to the Lord a new song. Surely on the Sunday after Christmas, we have a new song that we can sing before the Lord. Because He is new and fresh. And we are reminded of that in the Christ child. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Again, God's worship and His praise is not reserved for just a a small group of people, but rather for all the earth. All the peoples of the earth are to come and to worship Him. Sing to the Lord and bless His name. We set apart His name. We bring glory to His name. We revere, we honor, we understand the nature and character of His name. And we sing to the Lord in worship because of His name. Look at verse 7 as we begin that second stanza of, of worship. And the psalmist begins in the same place. Instead of the word sing this time, he he uses the word ascribe. Or maybe some of your translations would say, give to the Lord. So we come and we sing to the Lord our praises. We give our thanksgivings. And then we come and we give. What is it that we give? We give to the Lord glory and strength. Contemporary theology uses this word glory. I guess about the the, the early 90s is when this, this movement began to start where there was so much focus upon God's glory. And we use that word often without really understanding and knowing what this means. But the word glory simply means the weight or the importance or the heaviness of God's name. So when we talk about the glory of the Lord, we talk about who He is and, and, and His weight, His importance, His significance, His almightiness. And we are to ascribe, we are to give to the Lord His glory, His heaviness. We're to, to give to Him what is rightfully His. And to ascribe to Him strength, our strength. To give Him our strength. To worship Him by offering our strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Again, as we understand that His name reveals to us His character and His nature, we ascribe to Him the weight of that, the heaviness of that, the importance of that in our lives. His glory is the most heavy thing in my life. And I should live my life in a way that reflects and reveals reveals that. But notice how the psalmist continues in his worship. We come and we bring an offering There's a lot of different ways we can bring offerings, but I I think the key is is that when we come to worship, we come to give. We we don't come empty-handed, but we come ready to give, to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength and honor. And we bring our offerings. We bring our life to Him. We come into His courts. We gather with others. The, The corporate expression is so vital. We worship the Lord in holy attire. And we all understand and realize that our holy attire begins within. As God cleanses, renews, purifies us from within. And then we come, we worship God in His presence as we come together. We tremble before Him. 
We fear the Lord. We worship Him. We are in awe before Him. The psalmist is inviting us. He's encouraging us. He's welcoming us to come and to worship and to praise God for He alone is worthy of that worship. Psalm 96 invites us to worship God. But then, but then, this psalm shows us and it instructs us and it tells us that the purpose or the result or the reason of our worship is to touch the nations of the world. Look at verse 2. After we come and we sing and we sing and we ascribe and we give, then the Scripture says, proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Tell of His glory among the nations. Tell of His wonderful deeds among the peoples. You see, we gather to worship. We gather to exalt and glorify God. And the result of our worship becomes witness. When we've truly experienced God in, in, in worship, when we've given our lives and ourselves to Him, then guess what? We want to go and share that with whoever we can. You see, when God does something good, we should tell it and share it with others. I'm reminded of the story, I believe Tony Campolo tells the story of coming out in the streets of Philadelphia, the inner city of Philadelphia, and walking down the street on his way to work, dressed in his, his finest professional clothes. And in the McDonald's up a, a couple of blocks in front of him, one of the, the, the street folks came out and had gone in and gotten his morning cup of coffee on a cold, cold morning in Philadelphia. And this homeless man kind of fit that stereotype. His, his clothes obviously hadn't been kept for a while. He, his beard was matted. His hair was matted. You could tell he'd been outdoors. And as they got closer to closer, they began walking towards each other. Campolo began to realize this man was walking closer and closer to him. And he began to prepare himself for the various scenarios of what this person might ask him for and how he might respond. When they got up close to each other, they said good morning, and the, the gentleman said to Campolo, he said, well, good morning, would you like a drink of my coffee? Campolo's first thought was, of course not. <laughs> but he said, something stopped me, and I took his cup, and I drank a cup of coffee. I drank a drink of his coffee. And as I gave it back to him, he said, You know, you sure are being awful generous with your coffee this morning. And he said, Well, you know, the coffee is particularly good today. And when God gives you something good, shouldn't you share it with others? And over these last weeks, we have been anticipating and looking forward to the birth of this Christ, this Savior. And oh, it is so good. And it reflects God's generosity so much. Don't you think we ought to share it? Share Him with others? For the Lord is great. And He's greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Notice this progression here. Take notice of what the, the psalmist is doing. He's reminding us that this great and good God, this God who created all the heavens and the earth, the one who created us, 
He is the one we're to be praising and worshiping. And then he talks about people worshiping idols. Isn't this crazy? Here we go. Here's the God, the creator of all things. He created us. And, and we've got people, us who are created. Now we're creating idols. We're creating our own gods. And we're worshiping our own gods. And the psalmist is saying, that's absurd. But you know what? We, we fall guilty to this as well, don't we? It sure is a whole lot easier to worship the gods we create, isn't it? Because we can control those gods. And we can shape those gods. And we can allow those gods to put demands on us that we can really, you know, we can handle that. The created making gods that we can worship. And the psalmist says, He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord, He made the heavens. You see, let us tell the peoples of the earth that are worshiping these idols, these handmade gods, let us tell them of a God who is great and greatly to be praised. So as we step back from Psalm 96, we're struck again by these two stanzas. And I'm struck as we study these two stanzas by the psalmist's confidence and his peace of mind that God's justice and God's judgment and God's salvation and His grace are not irreconcilable. That's the beauty of this psalm. Is that God's judgment and His salvation, we don't have to, we don't have to, fret, too, we don't have to fret any longer because they're not irreconcilable. But rather through Christ, through the birth of of the Messiah, they become understandable. And so this is what I call the wonder of grace. You see, grace, or salvation, is the intersection of God's love and of His judgment. Grace is the response of God's love and His righteousness to our sin. And it's in His wisdom and in His love, and in His judgment, that all of these things are reconciled through Christ. Listen to one commentator as he summarized this idea just very nicely. He says, The wonder of God's grace, the wonder of His salvation, consists nothing less than the holy God making a way for His enemies to be restored in peace with Himself. It is a wonder, this gift of salvation is a wonder of His faithfulness. The provision of salvation through Christ fulfilled all of the promises God made through the Old Testament. It is a wonder, this salvation, this grace, is a wonder of His wisdom. For you see, and here's the key question, he says, how could a holy God both carry out the sentence of His wrath against sinners and let those same sinners go free. God's wisdom found the way. And that way was Jesus, who received on the cross the penalty of God's wrath or God's judgment. 
You see, God's salvation is the triumph of His grace, of His faithfulness, of His justice, and of His salvation. Therefore, let us rejoice. Let us join with all of creation in rejoicing how God has reconciled His love and His grace and His salvation with His judgment and His wrath. Look at verse 11 in Psalm 96. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and everything that's in the sea. Let the field exult. And everything that is in the field. Let the trees of the forest sing. See, all of creation is invited to rejoice because in God's wisdom and in His grace, he, in his, he, has, he has made a way. He has made a way to honor who He is in His holiness and His righteousness. And He has honored that within the context of His love. And for this reason, we are to glorify and exalt Him and Him alone. Look at these last words. You see, without the first... 12 verses, it's hard to do verse 13. 11 and 12, rejoice, rejoice, worship, rejoice, praise God. Before the Lord, for He is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. You see, we ought to be hiding under the pew, right? When we get to this part. What are we going to do? But you see, God's taking care of that. And the psalmist understood that. From the psalmist's perspective, he understood that from the future. He understood that there is a Messiah who is coming who will reconcile these things. But today, 2,000 years after His birth, 2,000 years after the cross, we understand this in its fulfillment. And we can rejoice that God is a God who is righteous. We don't have to fear His judgment. Why? Because He has made a way through Christ Jesus. And for those that embrace this way, for those that invite and welcome Christ into their lives, they too can come alongside the psalmist and praise God. You see, God is to be praised because there is a judgment. His righteousness demands a judgment. But God is also to be praised because of His salvation, which is for all the nations and all the peoples of the earth. You see, His love demands salvation. And on this Sunday after Christmas, we celebrate because there's no need to fear. Christ is born. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. This morning, the simple question for each of us is what will your response to the birth of the Christ child be? You see, each one of us must decide. I can't decide for you and you can't decide for me. We must each decide what, what will our response be to the work of Christmas, to the praise of Christmas. We sing a hymn of response called, What Child Is This? It's the question that we must all answer. 
Verse 2 says this, For sinners hear the silent word is pleading. The Spirit of God, this beautiful babe, having been changed and fed, right? This beautiful, quiet, peaceful babe in the silence of this message pleads to us. In the silence on the cross as His, his, his earthen vessel has given up its life, His crucified body pleads with us silently. Verse 3, what child is this? What response will we make? We're going to bring Him incense and gold and myrrh. And we're going to let our loving hearts enthrone Him. Is that your response? To enthrone this child as the King of kings, the King of your life? And the chorus, haste, haste to laud Him. To laud means great praise. Oh, that we would make this commitment today, individually, and as a church, in response to this beautiful story of Christmas and the coming of Christ our Lord. Let's pray.